Hello and welcome to the dive presented by Honda season five episode 11 and we have quite the episode for you today all pro announcements patch notes previews of this coming weekend's playoff matches make it a rain over. on yeah, exactly <laughs> making it rain the content we got all kinds of topics out here we're handing them out as ale <laughs> do you always do the episode numbers with your hands I never noticed I, uh, that. Now I'm really I curious. I feel like maybe it's like 50%. Uh, 50%? It might, feel like it might be a little bit less. I feel like it's 100%, but it's just off camera sometimes. You're like, mm, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. That may be the case. <laughs> with He's our, with... using his hands to count up to 11. <laughs> like so he can... 72, <laughs> 73, 70. <laughs> what were we last week? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Somebody check the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> We're kind of we're boxed in with you know the the working from home having it actually really cropped out, especially with you know people's individual setups too. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on off screen you can't see anymore. Yeah, and Travis is just riding around on a unicycle just off screen to your side. That's why Kobe is such a professional. You never see him even you know acknowledge it. All the honking noises. <laughs> this damn circus. Whereas, we whereas got anytime going your on over cat here. just walks into your room, Mark, you're just like, huh? <laughs> Yeah. Every time All a cat right. even looks at me, I'm like, do you need me? <laughs> I must go. My people yeah. are calling. Let's start with the All-Pro then, uh, <laughs> as uh, the All-Pro was released. All three teams at once here yep. uh, firing off. Um, honestly, I was surprised by quite a few of the winners until I started thinking about it from um, like popularity and, and fan perspective and stuff. And then I was like, okay, uh, <laughs> No, I, I see some of them. I definitely uh, I definitely had some some different votes there. So. From the plebs' point of view, you understand it. But from us intellectuals. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm with you. There was, there's quite a few that, like, I don't think were huge, like, whiffs or anything like that, where it's like, what the hell is this guy doing there? But there yeah. were some where I'm like, oh, I'm surprised that this was not, um, you know, the way that I, I had voted it. Um, yeah. But I mean, Corte J first first team i think was surprising um yeah. you know i didn't think he had a, a, a fantastic split that to me felt like a, a little bit of a carryover from how good he's been for the last couple of years it's like yeah he may still be the best player in the league but he, i don't think he was you know the best player this split right and i think that some people did outperform him um or at the very least i think vulcan probably outperformed him uh, it's pretty tight you know beyond that but that one was a little bit surprising to me um i'm not sure where you guys landed on on the perks versus poe stuff i know there was some some conversation about that i felt like no mid laner really stood out from the rest yeah. like as far as like was like super dominant so uh first team for me was a pretty close affair between uh, perks and poe yeah, my, mine was actually swung pretty heavily by, uh, I asked a bunch of mid laners, I asked four different LCS mid laners, who puts more more pressure on you, who, you know, who would you not want to play against more, um, and and all of them said perks, um, yeah. but if you think about that in the context of their play styles, like, yeah. that makes a lot of sense, right? You know, POE's big strengths have been, you know, not huge pressure in lane on people making them feel like oh i don't want to play you know against the you know, this player but carrying a lot of those you know team fights for the team um teleporting to the weak side of the map to, to, to pr protect his teammates um so so i think that that that's where a lot of uh you know the value there from from poe as well so i i accept you know people's arguments for for either you know multiple mid laners actually for, mm -hmm. for this time around i wasn't too too perturbed by any of those differences 
Yeah, Mitt, Mitt was a close one. I still went with Perks just because I really value the playmaking that he brings. Um, and I know POE has been better this split about it, but he's not very lane dominant. And I know he plays a lot of like you know control mages, but he also played Syndra five times. Like you can you can win more matchups than I think he did with that champion. Um, and so like I, I thought uh, he was really good. Um, and like to uh, I think Kobe said that you know like no one's jumped out of the pack this time around. So I like I could understand why POE got some of the votes, but I thought I thought Perks while having some lower lows, you could say, like, I never thought there were times where I was like, oh, my God, what is POE doing? He's running it. Whereas there's a time where I was like, oh, my God, Perks, be careful. Um, but at the same time, he also had the most solo kills pre-15 for a reason, because he takes mm -hmm. risks. And, like, I am totally down to take a risk and see you make a play that might not work out to also kill the guy in lane phase quite consistently without something that POE never does. Almost. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what I think of when I think of Mark. He's a he's a risk taker. He's he's really living life on the edge. <laughs> Did you cook that chicken enough? <laughs> uh, uh, I think a, a couple of the other notable snubs, or at least for me, were I would say Afro and and Huhi. You know, I, I think support was really hard. I think we touched yeah. on this a little bit last week, but I felt like, or at least they tweeted about it. I think that there was at least five people that were really well within consideration for uh, for top three for support. Um, you know, I, I ended up having Afro as as my third team, uh, so I was a little bit sad to see you know that he didn't make it in. I wasn't really shocked. Uh, I think either. Um, because like Sword Art and Core JJ also had really good splits and and are very big names, um, you know that that wasn't really a, a like a surprise to me. But I felt like those guys at least deserve a mention. You know what? Uh, I I saw this coming as far as uh, you know where our sections are placed. You know, I'm going to call it audible. We're moving the Honda MVP section up to the beginning of the show this time around. Oh, because God. it literally is this topic. And we could just go all in on it right now so we don't have yep. to, you know, circle like back it. around later. Our Honda MVP section this week is actually, who is your MVP that did not make the all LCS pro team? Any of the teams? Um, I want to see if uh, if we actually bring similar people because Afro you already move. you already were touching Afro on move. you are you are already touching on uh, on one of mine there as right well. hand All up right. Afro move did you do it Kobe were we you got, on the Afro we move got train? two Afro moves um, I actually was I, I'm gonna go with support as well but I'm I was gonna say uh, Huhi I was okay. actually part of it I was really surprised is um, the point totals. If you look, the you know, supports dropped all the way down to, you know, Sword Art only got 46 points, uh, whereas Vulcan and Core JJ, they were up there 90 and 100 points. So everybody had them somewhere on their ballots. But then it makes sense that the third spot was heavily contested between Sword Art, Huhi, and Aframu, and it being split with between three different supports as, you know, people have uh, all of those as contenders on their list. Uh, and it actually, you know, kind of shows in the point total. So it makes a little bit more sense if you look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought Afro was actually really good. I, I did include him and I would put him for this kind of Honda MVP section of, you know, who didn't make it. I, that you'd be your MVP. I would say Afro because... I included him too. I actually didn't include him. Did all three Huhi, of us have him? Even, even though Huhi is my, you know, snubbed, uh, not all pro player, okay. uh, I had oh. uh, I had Afro move on there as well. Yeah, I, I thought um, one of the things that he had in his back pocket for why I put him over, say, Sword Art, um, whereas I think Sword Art maybe ended the season playing in a higher form, he had a lot of struggles early on in the year that were pretty bad. Um, if you go back and remember like that freak section where he was talking about all the, the mechanical misplays and decision-making 
in the first week and a half or so yeah. of, of it. Whereas Afro, yeah, he had some bad games, but there wasn't like this stretch where I was like, oh my God, Afro, what are you doing? And he had a pretty consistent level over the course of the entire split, and it was a very high level. And it was one of the big reasons, I think, that Dig was a playoff team. And that's why I ended up going for Afro uh, on my ballot because I was like, wait, you know, if I look back at their entire splits, he was one of the only players in the sport position which didn't have like really big bad bad stretches or or and I, I think you know core jj as well you could say that maybe it just wasn't his peaks were in his high but mm-hmm. um I, I definitely value that a little bit more even if i would take sword art you know on my actual team or something yeah yeah i, I agree i mean i think uh to, to add on also how well he works with neo like right out the gate you know a lot of times people don't really click right away and people are quick to talk about ah well it's their first split or ah they need time or neo's young you know it's not gonna work right away but they they were great pretty much pretty much right out the gate right and they actually worked well as a duo uh not just for the laning phase but i think that you know some of the best moments for afro were moments where him and neo were playing really well together in a team fight you know there was one really notable base defense where yeah. uh you know the, the fight starts up and he's already used his his headbutt to knock someone away like a rel on a disengage and then he just q flashes hits both the carries and at the same time like during that Neo is like up in the air in his Xyol and just like flashy pulls the feathers through, you know, they, they win this big fight in the base and they're able to you know turn on the game off that and win the game. And they had some really strong moments, I think, as far as their team fighting. So uh, I, I agree with you. What do you think for, uh, for who he there, Kobe? Uh, for why, why, why he got stubbed. I think there are a lot of people and you can see by the numbers as well. We're giving so much credit to FBI. Uh, but started to fall off on who he and, and who he had done a tremendous amount for this lane. If you look at the lane phases, uh, so so much of it is uh, is who he you know taking brush control, um, you know putting pressure on the enemy AD carry as well. So I I feel like he got snubbed this way in um, and you know people started to load their their hundred thieves love onto onto FBI and vote and vote him up in there and they're like ah you know what there's just too many other good supports right now which which is fair you know like we're saying yeah. it's a lot of these roles were actually packed and we could see why some players were ended up getting snubbed and why, you know, some of the voting was super close mid lane support. Um, I think even jungle um, as <laughs> yeah. well uh, was, was definitely close. So that I, I definitely understand uh, the difference. Do you, do you think it's because they stopped getting so many kills in lane? Like as, as simple as that. And it's like, okay, you're getting CS advantages, but people more attribute, kills to a support it's like it's, ah your support got the pick and then they got the kill so the support did the job but if you're just I, winning I, your lane and you're team fighting people are more like ah that's the ad carry yeah exactly i think it's that but it's also the the fall off in their dives so much of it mm-hmm. was them you know having all these successful dives and snowballing early off off a lot of this pressure um and who he was was pulling off those dives in bottom lane as well as roaming up to some of the top lane ones in lock-in tournament and uh in the beginning of spring and I, I think people didn't, um, you know, attribute as much credit for those uh, for those early days. And it was a lot of team coordination. You know, they were scouted out. Their jungle pathing would be seen earlier, so teams would pre- be preparing for these dives. And, and those types of things went into uh, went into it for the bottom side of the map as well. I was about to hop in there, but then I realized we have a hundred thieves to talk about later on when we talk about the the playoffs. True. So I'll just save save my hundred thief points till later. <laughs> Good, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I was just my. 
And then I didn't know if anyone was like, wait a minute. This is Mark's announcement of an announcement, by the way. <laughs> one of, one of it was because things. I didn't know if Azale saw me do like a gasp and point, and then I needed to like retro it and pull it out, you know? Like I undo my gasp and point. No, no one cares. <laughs> no, one cares. <laughs> no one cares. As far as the yeah. rest of uh, you know, our announcements <laughs> and our, our global news uh, coming up, LCS Proving Grounds tournament is happening. We've got it's pretty cool where you've got amateur teams coming in, um, you know, academy teams. We get, we get this mix-up that we were looking for. So many episodes of The Dive when we're talking about developing North American uh, talent and we're talking about crossover tournaments uh, between these different levels. Uh, you know, definitely excited to see it, uh, happy to see it. I actually have a bunch of friends that are in the tournament uh, because I have multiple friends that were on Solo Fide, uh, rest in peace, the, the one that lost funding. <laughs> Tragedy. And stop stop paying their players uh so they have been complaining very heavily um uh you know the coach uh derek zig as well as big uh big t former support L in the lcs oh my god stitch is making an appearance uh forget about proving grounds what up stitch he was he was hanging out he was squeaking at me so had to bring him up say hi i'm How's getting going, cold bud? shouldered this, by my side or my think. pets go to this side yeah there we go oh you move him a little bit over all right, wait, a little which bit way? closer. Oh, he's no, wiggling. Start, start. He's wiggling. He wants down. Long way. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast listeners are going to be like, wait, now I have to go load up the video, see what's going on. It's worth it. He's cute. Uh, um, on, on the Proving Grounds thing, I'm super excited about it. Uh, the main So there's a last chance qualifier right now to get the final teams um, in there, which is going to be running this week. And the main tournament starts next week on the 29th. So you can catch a little bit of the, the action if you want to taste her. But I'll definitely be watching next week because I think it's a really cool idea to be able to see kind of the closed system of the LCS opened up a little bit. It's one of the things that I did feel like you kind of lost a little bit with the with the removal of relegations mm -hmm. and promotion system was like seeing a group of five guys bring it together, a group of the friends, you know, with the dream. Um, and I'm excited to see that come back a little bit as well as the upsets, all the – I feel like people are going to take it a little bit too far, but I'm excited to see the drama of like the academy team lost to these guys kind of thing. That's going to happen with the amateur teams. Um, overall, I actually think it'll be a lot of fun. And to Kobe's point, like good development to see a real competition where the, the goal for a lot of the amateur teams is winning and proving that they are this good. Whereas sometimes in academy, the goal is just improvement and you don't necessarily see it always. Um, yeah. In the same context, I mean, I think I think it's great for the ecosystem because there is a direct comparison now between top amateur and academy, right? And I think that's actually really important uh, to be able to then say, okay, well, now amateur is truly a stepping stone towards pro, right? Whereas before, it's like the best amateur teams just played the best amateur teams, and hopefully, the teams were doing their due diligence and actually scouting them. Now you have an opportunity to actually prove yourself against these academy squads and say hey you know Give me your we spot. are as good exactly like <laughs> we are as saying. good or we are better or like you know be able to actually show off your stuff and and hopefully for them stand out and i think that's really exciting because you know not only for the individuals who maybe get that spot like hope talking about um but for the future because you you then want to invest in and be a part of academy if you're an, a, an up-and-coming player and you can see hey I can do that by getting into amateur and rising through the ranks in amateur. And that's like more of a clear path to pro. It's an additional step in that path to pro. I think that they're, they've been trying to build. Obviously, scouting grounds, I think, was helpful. Scouting grounds was great. But I do think the, the addition of proving grounds and the new kind of amateur format 
uh, I think is going to do good things, you know, down the line, five, 10 years, you're, you're hopefully going to be seeing a lot more players coming up through uh, that route. And, and hopefully it improves, uh, you know, the scouting of amateur players. Let's go contracts. Rooting for my boy on EG Academy to make a research and sink it back in. Um, all right, let's move on to what you've been playing personally then, Azale. Uh, you're talking about past, Path to Pro. The first path is climbing that solo queue ladder uh, <laughs> or, you know, climbing that, that normal game MMR first. <laughs> Climb that uh, MMR. Get it, get it those, those flex queue games together. Get the Clash team together. 11.6 uh, has been really fun for me, especially. Um, I, uh, for me, uh, I always look at the jungle changes first and they gave some experience back at Gromp, um, which, which was, uh, you know, when I had dropped a little bit of, of importance because it was nerfed really hard previously. Um, and I actually like, like it getting a little bit of love back because when it is valuable, um, you visit it a lot because it also has the heal in it now. Um, and, uh, it just, just made it feel a little bit nicer as far as all the, the previous, you know, hits on jungle. You know what I don't like in 11.6? I'm seeing a lot more Akali again, and I just mm, yeah, hate that. that champion so much. Anytime Akali is meta, it doesn't matter what role I'm playing, that's my ban. I don't want that shit in my games. Get it out of there. <laughs> it's Fair just, enough. oh my god, playing against Shroud is so frustrating. And I feel like the E does so much damage now. Uh, these Akalis running around with like Night Harvester or Lich Bane, they just hit an E and you just die instantly. It is mm -hmm. it is frightening now, man. The the Shirk and Flip damage is is pretty crazy. Um, they also changed the R to magic damage. Um, yeah. You know, so so that's going to be you know additionally powerful with with any pen that they're actually purchasing up. So I think Akali is going to be back in there for for Pro when we do eventually get to eleven six and further on. Um, but as far as as what I've been doing a lot of. I mean, I've been playing a bit of flex queue and playing uh, a lot of Phil and stuff and, and normals and whatnot. And something I've I've been noticing is just Phil is now you actually just get jungle every game. Like, oh, I saw welcome. your tweet. It's welcome. it's kind of it's kind of crazy how how unpopular it is. Yeah, and I did tweet about this last night because I was I was playing and I played like four or five games and four or five games in a row I queued Phil by myself and got jungle. And I was thinking about it, I'm like. Looking back some through some of my match histories on some of my accounts, and I was just getting jungle like every time I'm queuing Phil by myself. It used to be that you played a lot of support and then kind of mishmash up the other roles, but it just feels like no one wants to jungle anymore. And you know, I, I did tweet it out because I was really curious to hear people's takes on it and and some people's thoughts. And most people were really actually referencing, uh, you know, well, there's a few things. Most of it was people flaming you basically you know the pressure from yeah. the team like the negativity around jungle like i'm losing my lane but it's it's the jungler's fault because this guy could have ganked this lane he's pushed up he's at the tower who cares if he has six solo kills on me it's the jungler's fault uh you know there's that kind of thing and then a lot of other people are talking about the fact that jungle has there's less transferable skills between jungle and the other roles and also the fact you know wiggly wiggly tweeted talking about yeah that's who how, i was about to mention yeah. how often it has changed Right. And I think these are all combining to make the role really unpopular where it's like, this is hard. Me being good at top lane doesn't really mean I, I understand jungle, but I could probably play mid, you know, um, and there's so much pressure from your teammates to be performing, to be at the right place at the right time. Even if you are at the right place at the right time, your teammate who's dying on the other side of the map is probably pissed that you're not there instead. So it, it's kind of interesting. And I'm curious to hear some of your guys thoughts on on. You know, just the the evolution of this role and why no one wants to play it anymore. 
I mean, we we actually, I I believe we discussed this uh, before uh, when we were talking about how unpopular uh, Jungle was. And for me, the the changes to Jungle aren't as big of a deal as the mentality of player of the player base around Jungle and the and the flame that Jungle gets. Mm-hmm. I I for me, <clears throat> that is the majority of it because I actually enjoy. I enjoy theory crafting in in all games uh, as as one of my highest points for these games. You know, I love big patch days. I love preseason. I love um, you know. I, I actually like you know when when jungle things change because it really gets you thinking about why you are doing what you're doing, and that's why I became a jungler in the first place was because there are so many options and so many choices of how to gather information for your team with, you know, how you're going to spend your time getting vision, how you're going to clear your camps in order to get to an area on the map and be there in the right time, depending on the different lane matchups and all these variables. Um, and, and so, yes, you know, when, when things change out, like I miss, uh, you know, unique smites on camps when, when you could mm-hmm. like smite the wolf camp and a little like ghosty wisp thing like comes out too. or whatever. And it's like tracking things Only around. Only smite and, chickens. What are you doing? Yeah, there's, there, there's all these, the poison these from the things. <laughs> you get boys, yeah. Um, so, so I definitely I, I enjoyed that, and I could see you know why why changing you know some some people wouldn't like it. Um, but for me, the the number number one thing is just the attitude that people have for junglers. Like I, especially because you know I you know started as a a ride account so early, I was like. I never type, okay? I never type anything, you know, bad to anybody. I'm always just like, hands off keyboard. Maybe I get to the point where I have to mute someone. Usually I don't even, you know, mute people though. But um, but Jungle really tests you on that, okay? And even me, I'm like, I'll never say anything first. As soon as somebody says, like, starts flaming my asshole, then that's where it really tests you because, you know, the rebuttal is, is where you really need to have you gotta some get strength you gotta to say not answer. Because I'm like, you I'm not type. saying anything, I'm not saying anything. And then they start flaming you and you're just like... <laughs> <laughs> You got you got to type it, but then you delete. Control A, delete. You type yeah, out all like, the all the hatred, no, no, so it no. comes out of you, and then you Control A, delete. Don't press Enter. You know, I, I, you know that's, that's, go ahead. You know what actually gets me the most when I'm jungling these days is when I'm on my first clear. I haven't even done my second buff yet, and my soul laners are dying solo, not getting level two ganked. They get solo killed, and I start getting pinged, and I'm just mm-hmm. like. I just feel the rage building up inside me. I want to say something like, I couldn't even like, been there. It's one minute into the game. Your ass already dead. So, so imagine I'm a mute you're not a player. player like you're not a player like Kobe. You don't even enjoy the theory crafting. You don't enjoy that your 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 role gets changed all the time. You don't want to stay up to date on the optimal clearings. You don't yeah. want to have to you know not lane. You like laning. You like last hitting minions and and slapping the other guy with your Q or something. You know. And you don't get to do any of that. And now you throw that extra pressure on top of your back of, of your team hating you. I mean, Kobe likes the role and even he gets gets frustrated, you know? So, like, I think that's the, the main reason, you know, it's that combination of all three. Because, like, support really plays different. But, like, how often do people other than the AD carry flame the support? Except maybe late game when they're like, where are the wards? You know, other than that, it's, it's, it's you know, you have a 20-minute buffer before people start flaming you as a support. It's also the other thing is, like, okay, so... Multiple roles get flamed in League of Legends. Right? You know, people people flame everybody, right? Yeah. But with jungle, it's often four versus one, and it's like laners stick with together, you know. But there's no other jungler to have your back and be like, "Yo, stop flaming this guy." Yeah, he's he's having a bad game, or something. like 
no, you're by yourself. Okay, so that's why I feel like junglers often develop these complex where they're like them versus the world, you know, and they're like everyone's out to get them because they are, okay? Your top laner starts flaming you. Guess what? The mid laner is going to back up your top laner and be like, yeah, this is a dumbass jungler. Yeah, the city like, didn't jump gang me either. <laughs> exactly. They're like, yeah, you know what? I haven't seen this idiot either. <laughs> Even though he, missed like, the, he missed a cue when he came to gang for me on Lee Sin. This guy sucks, actually. It, this other person's kind of right. Yeah, Screw this so, jungler. I, I do feel like it... it <laughs> that adds to it where like it, there's this natural kind of grouping and gang of the, the laners versus the junglers too that adds on to it yeah. psychology of a of a league uh, right. of a league team is actually I, I, will, I will say the thing i i do love most about jungle though and why i've liked jungle for a long time is is that you have more of an opportunity to to pick your fights right you know whereas like uh with top lane the thing i like least about top lane it's most exemplified there is if you if you pick early and you get counterpicked and you're just locked in this unfun lane, like you are just trapped, right? Like you're just stuck there at the mercy of your team coming to bail you out a lot of times. Uh, whereas jungle, I feel like, yes, there are some games where you're going to get constantly invaded, but it's 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 pretty rare, I think, you know, compared to to how uh, stuck you are, you know, in, in some of these soul lanes. And and it allows you to have more of more of like where you're picking the the, the right opportunities for yourself, uh, which can be really fun. And I, I think jungle strong. I, I think it's a good role, uh, but I definitely see that the the mental side and the kind of like development of, of jungle diff and all this all this type of talk has really I think pushed people away from the role. Did you have one more thing you wanted to add, Mark? Because I was going to move on to... Uh, no, I was notes. about to ask, are we done with the jungle wine <laughs> no, okay, hour? Good, the, the, because the, I'm again. on the same page. I'm moving it back to actual All right, patch notes, All right. changes that I've been using. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a jungler, but I'm not going to talk about jungle at all, uh, you know, role at all with it. Jin Zhao with his changes. It is actually really cool, but is not, you know, this big, big power difference where they actually put in some little damage nerfs along with allowing you to charge off of hitting your W now. Um, the W long range uh, part of your stab for your wind turns lightning, or is this a really weird name for the ability? Um, <laughs> uh, wind becomes lightning? Yeah, wind becomes lightning, uh, which is actually just one of the weirdest uh, names. But anyway, the they put a lot of damage into it previously with some of the buffs they did this in. And now, if you hit someone, then it uh, it challenges them, so you can use your Audacious Charge uh, super long range to them. But one of the things that people haven't thought about the, uh, you know, for jungling, which is the biggest uh, buff to me, you can use this on the camps when you're going from camp to camp. And it, it insanely increases your clear speed because like you can almost reach it from the other camp. And I'm just, you're doubling at the beginning. Um, and, and then you immediately charge in there and your your time spent traveling between camps is greatly reduced. And I think that's, uh, you know, people, the win rate's going to increase a little bit uh, slower because there are these different things. And the buff was really to a skill-based interaction. Um, he didn't see, you know, any sort of big jump in, in win rates, you know, for solo queue right off the bat. But I think that when people start really maximizing, um, you know, the the clear speed with being able to jump to different camps and, and team fights where you can actually uh, make use of, uh, you know, long range uh, jumps into ultimates and stuff like that. It'll, it's, it's definitely a good change at least. That's what I was about to ask is have you done any sick, like uh, kind of like old least sin escapes, you know, where like you queue a camp and then you would run away and then queue back to it. Do you ever like W a camp as you're running away and then you e e right back to it, try and get away from them. 
the first thing I tried was trying to do, I thought you were going to talk about insecting uh, as soon as you started talking about Lee Sin. The first thing I tried to do was a sick ass insect <laughs> where there's a team fight and I try and W somebody that's by the AD carry, then charge to them, then flash and over, an ult, then yeah. ult. Um, which is a really ghetto, uh, you know, insect <laughs> because it's a lot more clunky with Zinzao. It takes way longer and they see it coming. And guess what? It turns out that was a problem. And uh, my first couple of attempts at that were disastrous. <laughs> but gave up pretty quick. I was able to get in there at least. Uh, you can hit him with the R flash sometimes, you know, knock him back in. That's what I did. I did a W into E into R flash on him, uh, <laughs> but it takes so long it, um, <laughs> since it's, it's not instant. <laughs> the, AD, the AD carry just moved and, like, moved off to the side and it, like, kind of bumped him over there. Uh, well, thankfully, you know, the, you know, the ultimate actually does give you a long time of, uh, you know, survivability in there, but you're kind of mm -hmm. panicking. Like, you're like, oh, shit, now I'm surrounded. One one pick I think is actually really good right now that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about is Urgot. Um, you know, as far as top lane goes, I think Urgot with Titanic Hydra is actually really really insane. Um, you know, was that the thing they just nerfed? And yeah. Oh, did out. it get nerfed? Oh, okay. it's, yeah. That's that was what the whole uh, whole patch uh, note was about. Yeah, they, uh, they, they dropped his uh, on-hit effectiveness back down to 50% okay. after buffing That's it. Fair. I was going to say, because I, I, I'd been seeing that around uh, a fair bit and seeing that uh, pretty pretty mega busted. So maybe it's not as strong. I, I think the win rate's still really high in 11-6, though. It honestly should still be a good build, just Stridebreaker plus, plus Titanic. Feels so strong. Stridebreaker on Urgot feels like it makes it such a joke to actually land your, your flip as well. And if you land the flip in, in, in lane, like the damage plus the actual like pretty long lasting stun makes it so easy to to knock multiple you know passive procs on on your shotgun knees and stuff off and it, like it feels really really strong it actually scales pretty well uh, I could see this pick making its way back into pro as people realize how good it is yeah uh, the other two what? things I wanted to point out were the volley bear buffs to jungle specifically they un they uh, raise the cap on his E. You basically, E now is like another smite. freaking smite. It's so, so nutty. You can combo it with your smite to secure objectives really easily. It's it's just an insane amount of burst damage. Um, even even top lane volley bears now, you can abuse this going in, stealing red buff from junglers. Uh, you basically have a smite fight there that's... that's close to even terms uh, com compared to what it used to be considering well, once, you, once you have a bunch of points in it because level yeah. one it's still like 150 but i think well, it's at there, level five there it's, is it's yeah there, right? there is po uh ap volley bear is is actually a decently popular uh build for for top lane now too i've been hit by a couple of those uh it is ginormous the other one i wanted to point out is silas for all the non-jungle mains for solo laners play silas this champion, not only is it super fun, but with these extra buffs, I feel like he's just so insanely good. As long as you don't get blasted in in the first like five levels, uh, early levels, it, this champion is insanely powerful. They buffed again, um, passive attack speed and Kingslayer, um, and every every um, top lane friend that I have that uh, that plays Silas just. Seems like every game that we play together just absolutely smashes with this champion. So um, I really think Silas is coming, going to come back in a big way. We already saw it in the LCS. That's pre eleven point six buffs. Yeah, I think the thing that interested me most from these patch notes is a lot of the or some of the natural healing getting cut out of the game, which was I think something that f fans of the game community has been complaining about quite a, quite a lot over the last 
I don't know now, three years. Uh, so the, the nerfs to uh, Ravenous Hunter, nerfs to Fleet Footwork, nerfs to just some of the lifesteal items in general. I was, uh, yeah, I, I was pretty happy to see some of those coming through. I, I'm a, a little sad the Immortal Shield Bow lifeline active kind of got cut to be AD focus instead of lifesteal focus. Um, I know that can be a frustrating gameplay experience when like you try and assassinate the person, they get their shield, and then they, they lifesteal off you. But I did like that more, because um, I feel like the, the thing that really annoys me is like the, the passive, just like in-lane constant healing, which makes things feel a little frustrating. Uh, so I was happy to ultimately see some of that get taken down. And Verdant Barry and Seeker's Arm got also got got hit uh, for their defensive value because they're both just such insane pickups if you ever were against double damage types from jungle in, in your laner. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm hoping that all this leads to more kills. That's what I'm hoping all this, this results in, um, at least with the pro play angle. But I, I think a lot of this addresses complaints that that uh, players had as well. Yeah, I'm kind of split a, a little bit on, on the Verdant Barrier and Seeker's nerfs because at the same time, I feel like assassins are getting pretty strong. And when you're playing mid against Good. some of these assassins, it's Good. like it's so unfun getting one shot by a combo that they do where they don't even do it right. You know, it's like Zed just friggin' RS to you and like misses his Q and then E autos you and you die. <laughs> it's like, it's just because he has Prowler's caught and zooming in. So um, I, I, I'm kind of split on it a bit, but I, I think for pro for sure, you know, less defensive options just makes it a better viewing experience. Cause like you say, more kills potentially, I think is more exciting. Lifesteal also, I think is so, is so dividing because it feels so good when you're the one life stealing through everything and it feels so bad when it's being done to you. So uh, overall pretty good changes for the game. All right, let's talk about some LCS team liquid and cloud nine. They moved on. Who's looking better. What do you think? This is a tough one because I felt like the quality of their opponents were also pretty drastic as well mm -hmm. uh, when you're trying to compare like who, who looked better. Um, I'll probably say I was, at least compared to the regular season four, more impressed with Team Liquid. I thought they looked really good. I think a, a lot of their players stepped up. They also showed a variety of play styles, um, you know, with like the one-through-one -one focus versus the team fight and whatnot. So I was I was pretty happy with, with how Team Liquid looked after all of us, you know, on the dive last episode were pretty worried, like, are they going to be able to pull it out? And I think they, they won. I mean, game one was a little coin flippy, but otherwise quite handily. I think Team Liquid definitely um, looked better. Uh, I think Tactical as well, as much as it's so fun to still keep making fun of him for these rocket jumps on, uh, on Tristana. And he, <laughs> He's had he some stinkers. A, he did another one, ran to three people with exhaust available. Uh, and then he did another one mid lane and instantly had a flashback out. But only to bait in an extra kill onto Udyr, who chased, tried to chase him down. Um, I, I still, um, yes, those are happening. But I do think that it has it's getting like over memed and and, and overblown from uh, you know his he he was definitely slumping way harder in the middle of the season and the late stages of the of the season when a lot of things people were criticizing him for weren't actually even just like oh yeah there's this like Malphite ro uh, rocket jump you know Tristana meme for him he was legit like getting picked off all the time and had poor positioning in a lot of these team fights yeah and so i think i think overall you know his his play improved even though that that trisana game he still had uh some very lively uh <laughs> moments we'll, we'll call them um because trisana is so powerful right now i do always want uh you know trisana players to be looking for those epic you know 
jump in, get your reset, jump out before danger closes in on you plays. Um, the, he had some that were not even close <laughs> to working out though. So, uh, you know, you, you don't get like half credit for any, any of those, uh, especially like the, the one B three plus exhaust. They were one. all full HP when you jumped in as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so like, I want to be clear here, like as much as I, I love these, you know, I want to see aggressive Tristano plays. Um, you also you want the aggressive not... ones. You don't want the suicidal ones. <laughs> exactly. You're not getting, uh, you're not getting like half credit for any of those, but overall That's... for the team too, um, sorry, go ahead, Mark. Oh, just, that's why his gin and, and Siver are so good. No no way to jump in. His, those games were actually both <laughs> really incredible for him, actually. I, I thought he was really good in both those. Yeah. Uh, but no no gap closers. Yeah. I, I like your tweet about the, the driver's ed teacher. Uh, Car JJ <laughs> oh, is the like safety the driver's break? ed yeah. teacher with the safety brake. He can just turn off the W on the Tristana so he can't jump in. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, he, he still had a couple bad moments, but... Um, I think overall he had a, had a very strong series. And them, it's unfortunate that the memorable moments, you know, are kind of the like you know the suicide jump. Um, but for, for, for what now. it's worth, I think he <laughs> he got a lot better compared to the regular season. So that I think spells good things for them. I think the fact that TL for the this is the first time I want to say ever since they're like they started winning championships that they actually look like a flexible team. That's never happened before. They were always the like really standard go late, multiple tanks, front line type style, like front to back, fight it out. There have been some uh varieties that have come out, you know, here and there, but Alfari is a true split push, counter pick, carry threat. He can play tanks. Jensen now is playing all this different stuff, you know, bringing out the Ari. Uh, they're willing to bring out the, the TF, they're willing to bring out the Vagar. They have all these different picks that. Are kind of their style, and I think it's it's really exciting to see a team that is is developing in that way. Uh, of course, you know, partially it is is due to the change in top lane and the change in players, but also, you know, cold. I, I watched a little bit of Team Liquid content, and he was talking about the the different players and player by player, and he was talking about Jensen and saying, "Hey, Jensen is a guy that can play all these picks and that is really talented, but has to be pushed to do it, and you know, he doesn't naturally." want to go and try these different picks and try these different styles. He needs to be pushed to do it. And that's something that they're trying to do. Um, you know, he also touched on, on tactical who, and, and said, Hey, it's pretty obvious. He's making a lot of mistakes, but I want him to stay aggressive. I don't want him to be this guy who's, who's, you know, going to be passive and scared all the time. So I, I like that TL is kind of pushing for that development. And it really did feel like it showed against CSM. It was cool to see these different styles being brought out. You know, a lot of times it wasn't just having to be about against you know, battle far, he just getting counter pick and slamming a lane. You know, he could blind pick, he could play tanks, he could play whatever you want, and they could still have a lot of success. Yeah, I this is uh, it's kind of renewed the hype from lock in tournament basically, mm -hmm. um, because they certainly ran into a lot of problems in the in the early stages and uh, and mid stages of the spring split. But since spring split is so compact, we you know, you can kind of forget that that was only a couple weeks. Like that's just a few weeks. You know, teams teams have speed bumps. They're they're working stuff out and for lock in tournament, they had all just arrived. They barely just got uh Santorin in there. So, um, you know, I think uh, people people want to to judge as quickly as possible off of every little bit of data that they get, um, but keep in mind that you know these teams are are definitely evolving and and they're peaking at the right time now. So it looks really good for them 
with winning here, being in the the top of the winner's bracket. Uh, they have they have a really, really good chance. Meanwhile, on the side of Cloud9, um, if we're talking about players that people were worried about before, maybe, and, and then showed up uh, and shut them all up, it's uh, it's Fudge uh, delivering the the, yeah. the KO to a lot of the haters. I feel like that um, uh, you know there was it was some really funny back and forth uh, on on social media from a, a bunch of different angles. But he had a really good series um, for for Cloud Nine uh, specifically versus someday in so many of these matchups and it wasn't even about some of the indi individual you know 1v1 performances his his set game with a lot of the team play that he was getting off stride breaker plays into ultimates and and being like you know the lone front person for that team comp at, in a very pivotal role uh it's it's some individual plays it's team play you know how he's working into the entire strategy i feel like um, you know, I also feel a lot more confident about about Cloud9 now, even though there are definitely there's definitely still, uh, you know, some things to nitpick about the series. Uh, overall, I was uh, I was definitely happy with the progression that we have seen from both teams and and what they're able to display in a full best of five. Now that we actually get to, you know, have a bigger set of data. Yeah, I never felt like C9 was going to lose that series, though there were definitely moments where it's like, oh, they lost to Baron, or oh, they lost to Baron again, and some of their, like, oh, this is soul, <laughs> did you see, soul point. Did you see all of them popping off on uh, afterwards of how Blabber made the call, there's no smite on Udyr, just finish Baron? Oh, I did <laughs> not see that. <laughs> all, all of them reference it. Uh, Perks in his interview afterwards specifically is like, yeah, and then Blabber says there's no smite on this Udyr, finish Baron, boom, he pops over. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean on the one hand that's almost like at least okay it's not good but it's it's a better that's justification better. than just yeah. like deciding to 50 50 a baron i'd rather hear that than like oh we just thought that this was a fine play oh we and just then it didn't go well 50 50 did while we were in full control of the game for no reason <laughs> yeah i'd rather hear a mistimer than that and the enemy team had a jinx too and that rocket exploded very close uh to the baron as well so i think there were multiple things that were still uh you know a little risky about that we're yeah buried. for sure um and like i mean some of their team fights weren't super clean they got picked off sometimes uh like we said as well like or the the drakes they they Risked a couple times where it got to elder point when they weren't super clean about controlling them uh, in like I think it was game two maybe it's game one, uh, but like all that stuff aside, I never really felt like hundred thieves was in a threat to win the series even if they they stole one of the games off off this kind of objective play. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, that th that dragon game that you're referring to was mostly off of Fudge getting caught bot lane right before the third dragon because they they yep. gave up they gave up the first two they increase their gold lead to a point where they're like, they should have been able to win the 5v5. And then Fudge pushed way out bot lane with no tier one tower and just died. Right, right as Jack was spawning. So it's like, oh, well, now they have three dragons and now it's kind of dicey. Yeah. Um, but I, I think overall, Cloud9 played really well. Uh, the two Barons were bad and you know didn't really have any justification for going for them you know like i didn't i didn't know about the the smite timer thing i think it's it's kind of troll to think that you have both charges of smite timed right like that's that's no, kind flash. of what gets it's, oh, it's that he had, oh it's that you you it, said he had no smite oh no smite. that's my bad then uh okay okay <laughs> uh, so it was that he had no flash and he couldn't get in okay that makes yeah. more sense yeah okay because yeah, because yeah. Yeah, trying trying to time both no, charges no, no, of smite no, no, no. is like yeah, yeah. I was like, he could no, be that, in that's fog. That's like, definitely my yeah, that's definitely okay. My, that's, okay, yeah, okay. that makes more sense. Flash. That makes more sense to me. Okay, that's just now I'm understanding your guys's confused looks on your faces too. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, 
Who yeah. who is, is thinking <laughs> okay. that they see one smite and the guy doesn't have another charge? Like that is some crazy stuff. Come uh, on, don't, you're a juggler now, Sale. You gotta be on these things. <laughs> I mean, smiting me have, for a slow, and he's smiting you. I would be impressed if you're, if you're timing it both. You see it on ward, right? Like you see this guy on ward smite raptors, and then come into a fight and smite again, and then you brush Baron off that. All right, I'm impressed. Um, but but anyway, Freaking Phil Jungler over here just <laughs> this guy. This guy just outed himself as not perfectly timing both charges of smite at all times. <laughs> Yikes! Embarrassing. Uh, all right, my bad, guys. Um, but yeah, the bar- the barons were highly suspect. I will say that both like the the two barons that they lost were really bad. Uh, you know, didn't really have any any reason to force them, but they were in control the whole game. They seem better than 100 Thieves literally in every role and in every way, right? Like, this did not feel like a close series to me. Uh, they played really, really well, I think, overall. Uh, but when when your your mistakes are barren mistakes, they are very costly and make the games appear much closer than they otherwise would have been, right? You know, and that, and that is a big deal. And that's why teams put a lot of effort into their barren takes and their barren turns and how they're actually doing this. You know, part of the problems, I think, were uh, situations where, you know, the jungler is around and they're going for these they're they're going for these turns, but then they let it get too low before they turn. You know, maybe that was the situation where they thought that, you know, there was no flash and it couldn't get in. So it didn't matter if it got low. Uh, but, you know, I, w- I would have liked to see Cloud9 close those games out more cleanly because it felt so dominant. But I, I will say it was it was cool to see some different styles. It was cool to see, you know, Fudge playing well uh, in the set where he had counterpick and kind of slapping around Cho'Gath. It was cool to see him playing well on the Scion game where he was getting you know constantly attacked and, and jungle pressured nonstop and still was worth a lot more than somebody on the Aatrox. And that was good. Uh, I, I have a little bit of concern about some of the drafting stuff from C9. I thought their last game draft was was not good. You know, the Ezreal Tristana set game where they're basically pure physical uh, with, I think it was like Moonstone Lilia was their only yeah. AP. You know, to me, to me, that was not a good draft. And, and that was one where I, you know, I'm casting that game and I'm thinking, you just have to be way better than your opponent to win this one. And they were, to their credit. You know, they, they played it better. They got this big fight on 100 Thieves where 100 Thieves basically overchased with three people and all of five Cloud9 were around and killed them all and took the Baron and then the game was over, right? And that's kind of how that one ended. Uh, but I, I think if you play that kind of a, a draft, that kind of a game against TL, you probably won't get away with it. Now, maybe I have a misread on that, but to, to me, I just don't like those kind of compositions. And, and even the fact that, you know, Perks had an incredible series. I think especially the One game and the Oriana were both great. Like, he was hitting so many shockwaves without setup. He was finding so many engages and plays with the One, which was incredible. Uh, the Tristana game, leaving the Syndra up was concerning because that matchup just seems really hard. And so they put him in a difficult situation. And I think, you know, that in addition to, to the compositional issues uh, against a, a better team probably would have been a loss. I thought that ban was super random when they went to Lucian. And I forgot what their second ban was, but they didn't do the Syndra. And then, you know, right away, they were it was a top lane ban, but then they saved their top pick for last anyways. And mm-hmm. it felt kind of weird to me because it's like, why not ban the matchup that everyone Nar knows or something? Yeah, it was like it was like Nar, and I was like, can't you just counterpick the Nar if you really want to, or you know, take it early or something, and then ban the Syndra to give your mid lane a good matchup? But it's kind of probably one of those things where Perks is like, yeah, I don't care, I'll play whatever matchup and I'll I'll be fine, which is true. Um, and the comp itself was interesting when the set went play of the Rune King because I was like, ooh, maybe they're going like a one three one comp, and the Tristana and Set sit in side lanes. 
um, and kind of more peel you apart. But then that felt weird with Moonstaff Lilia because it's like, wait, don't you want to group with the double Moonstaff kind of thing? And I don't know. It was one of those those drafts where I felt like maybe there's a world where they have to play it more split push oriented, and they could have. They kind of tried, uh, but, but then they kept being caught, right? Yeah, I mean, Perks Perks did not have his best game on Tristana. He he talked about how in his interview where he was like, "Oh, I was tilted. I I built Gale Force when I should have built Kraken Slayer, and then I was getting caught and uh, all this stuff." So like, I don't think it was a great game, but they were also so far ahead of their opponents that like. Uh, I didn't see that they had to use their comp in the way that like maybe it should have been played, um, and so that that's why I think it was it was a weird series because it was really boring. If I'm being honest, like it just felt like C9 were going to win no matter what they did in a lot of ways. Well, there's no I, tension for the point of like how how they're supposed to to use this. It's it's definitely valid to use um, uh, long range your long range poke uh, advantage to with an early lead to set up at the objective, uh, you know, first. And then set is a great last pick into a team that has Cho'Gath. Um, because if you the get dunk. there first and you're sitting up on it and you have Ezreal and Karma and you're throwing out this poke, and then boom, set finds it. All you have to have is that one angle to jump this big old health pool of a Cho'Gath uh, into, into anybody that he hits on the back line. And both of them are low mobility carries. So Tom Kinch can only eat one of them. Like that, uh, I thought that's that was really you know intelligent like ad- adaptation uh, you know towards the end. I think that's that is actually the best possible last pick um, for that for that comp. Given what you know we had shaken out to it, uh, you know early on, because set can win both in the one v one for split pushing with the blade of the rune king and have tremendous impact for the team fight. Um, so so I definitely like uh, you know I like some of the angles that they're going for. But let's set up. The new matches, okay? We got to keep it rolling here. Number one is going to be EG versus TSM. And I immediately look at midlaners when I look at, at this matchup because Power of Evil it has done so much of the carry work for TSM. Um, and I have I have so much confidence built up in him over this split with how, with how TSM are playing. Um, meanwhile, Jazuke to me, has always been, I'm always thinking about best of fives. When is when are people going to focus on, um, you know, two champions that mainly stand out for him for me are Echo and Rise. When I see him pick these champions, I'm just so happy. I'm it's so excited. I'm, I'm looking for, you know, the cleanest Jazuke play. I feel like with those two champions, you don't have the moments that people always, like, make fun of coin flipping Jazuke memes and stuff for. Um, and, and no matter what the meta is, like not very many other people, you know, even have a single echo game. Um, and yet he's, he's playing it so often into these control mage matchups, um, and has had so much success with it. And you see the difference in his split pushing, like this man, uh, echo split push creates so much pressure. He even can, can then find flanks. He can get out of all these situations when people collapse on him. Um, but. If you remember like the last year, then he's like split pushing on Kogma. It's like you're like you, you got to adapt to like the difference there. Um, it's it's just such a different champion and not going to have have that same effect. He has had, I'd say, decent success on the standard meta champs, right? It hasn't only been so like he's he's pigeonholed himself into only playing these unique ones that I you know uh, I basically have gold stars on him for these champions like. Those are the ones in the the champ select that I have highlighted, um, but 
it's not going to really matter. Like if you have Jazuke Azir versus Poe Azir, uh, you ask anybody, they're going to take the Poe Azir every single time, right? Yeah. I think it's uh, it's a matchup that I would expect TSN to be favored in, but I don't think it's without ways that EG can win it. Uh, kind of with some of those picks, the big thing is the play style, the one three one, which we saw TL use against TSM in their previous series. Um, and I could see a world where you know EG does go more to the rise and the echo, and they, they do this one through one style. Um, we had Peter Dunn on Hotline League last week, and he was talking about like how he likes that they have a week to watch their other team's games, and then prep specifically to be like, hey, I see what the other team did to beat this team, and now I can try and you know spend a week scrimming and see if we can replicate those results. So I can see a world where they do focus their drafts more on impact, you know, playing a little bit more aggressive champion pool. Same with with Jazuke. And then trying to do that because that's also how they beat them in week six when they last matched up was this echo pick that just tore them apart. And Jazuke is really good at the one three one. Arguably, I mean, now with perks, you're probably not, but like one of the best one three one mid laners in the entire league. I will say that TSM's uh, series versus Team Liquid, with uh, them coming out of the gates straight up in game number one with a strong early game and getting this early game gold lead with first blood, getting early Rift Herald as well. Um, I thought that also. You know, we're talking about progression for teams and some of the assumptions that people have built up over spring, um, you know, coming into this. I think that TSM have definitely been working and focusing a lot on the early game as well. And it def- it showed. So uh, this matchup, I don't expect to go similar to some of our earlier spring uh, spring matchups that we've, we've had for this team. I also have been just laughing because POE in some of his interviews is referencing their early season and he's talking about their communication just being wild just full of everybody just chattering all kinds of random stuff and everyone's confused and they have no idea what's going on and i'm just like holy moly like that that's that's how it was because i guess now it makes sense of what what people are seeing on screen with a lot of these uh you know early game plays and some of the decision making where they're just like he was like nobody knows what's going on everybody's talking at the same time everybody's has all this information that they're, uh, you know, it's like excessive information overload, I guess, in the communication. Uh, so I was glad to, I was glad to hear that, uh, you know, that has been cleaned up as well. Yeah, for for me, from the looking at it from the TSM side, it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I I still feel like they're favored, but I felt like some of their their drafts were real stinkers against against mm-hmm. um, TL, which kind of set them up for failure in those games. And it was kind of hit or miss. I mean, game four to me was like really just didn't make sense. Like when they when they pick their Gragas and TL has already picked their entire top side and has TF NAR showing and you already have Seraphine mid and then you go Gragas and it's like, well, now you have literally no way to answer side lanes ever. Oh, then you built AP Gragas. Yeah, and then he did AP, which made even less sense. If he could have just gone tank to play weak side, then it would have made more sense. But I really felt like the fact that you saw that they're go- clearly going to be going for one three one with TF and NAR, and you didn't pick any ability whatsoever to answer a side lane from any from any pick, so like that to me was so weird that it was like, of course TL are going to win that game. Like, what what's your plan here, right? Like, unless you absolutely dominate them in the early game and just like force them to show up to every objective and then slam them or something, um, but you know the early game went bad for them too. So you know that was questionable to me. I felt like the Lucian Rumble game also didn't really make any sense. 
that that draft felt pretty weird uh, in in game two, where you know they they went for for Lucian Ophelios, Rumble. They didn't really have a, a lot of really good like setup or or lockdown, you know, kind of for this Rumble. It felt like, and it didn't really feel like there was much of a plan other than just like. I don't know, like hope hope you win early, but I feel like GP is actually a pretty strong matchup into the Rumble, so that that didn't seem like it was going to go particularly well for them, and it didn't. Of course, Santorin had an absolute pop off game, and Jensen that was his R game. He played really well, so like yes, there are ways that that TSM could have won, but those two games in particular to me uh, felt like TL was really, really, really favored after draft, especially game four. And, you know, you talk about the the ability of EG to split push and the ability of them to try to play those sort of styles. If we're seeing a lot of those Seraphine comps from from TSM, I could easily see the answer from EG just being, okay, well, we're just never going to 5v5. We're just going to split push you to death, right? And I think that can be really effective against those style of comps as long as you don't get run over early, as long as you can grab a couple neutral objectives to delay the potential soul coming in. So let me... I uh try and like offer maybe what they were looking for from the tsm side with uh with this comp so uh to offer in the game another, four one yeah to offer another i mean they were looking for 5v5 right like that's that's obvious yeah but like so when you reverse a split push you always need really good hard engage and you're gonna need uh some way to get control of the game early because if the split push comp gets control of the game early uh and you lose too much territory then then you're just gonna get run over and so with the Nautilus, with the Gragas, um, you know, obviously they're trying to have these frontliners with point and click long range for Nautilus to try and, you know, secure somebody. And then Gragas with flash, uh, body slam and, uh, and ultimate trying to, to force the fight um, on the group that, that is not, you know, split away from them. So you can try and force at these objectives. But one of the critical points is also, um, you know, gaining control early so that the split push team isn't able to get that far on the map before you can stack up things that can force them, uh, can force their hand, like Dragon Soul and stuff like that. Um, and they tried with the Olaf as well. You know, Olaf can have, uh, can try and have that early pressure, but um, they weren't able to, you know, get anything before Twisted Fate gets level six. Um, and with the top side focus, I think Team Liquid drafted it really well on their side, um, deserve credit as well as playing out the early stages super well to set themselves up for like, this is godlike split push comp. When you have dream scenario, you're like, oh, let's have a Sivir to be able to rotate mid and in just infinitely wave clear uh, to set up both of our, you know, Twisted Fate and our NAR side lane here. Let's actually camp uh, and attack the Gragas early to get the NAR er ahead so that NAR is a super powerful split pusher along with the Twisted Fate. Um, and so I, so I think it was, it was really well, you know, planned and, and executed from, from the team liquid side as well. Uh, and you can see the TSM, um, I feel like, yeah, they did make a, a, an early mistake there in, in draft and tried to come up with a, come up with a solution at least. Mm -hmm. It's just, to me, it's like th there, there were more obvious solutions. Like they just played the Camille in, in the previous game, right? Mm -hmm. And and that worked well for having an actual split push answer. Aurelia was up and, and Nar was picked, right? You know, to me, that's, that's like a little bit, a little bit disappointing when, when the counter pick is available and you have this player that that's willing to play aggressive. I also think, you know, th there's lots of other split push options. If you, if you don't so want I, to go I towards actually, that. In that champ select on live when casting it i brought up the aurelia um before they were about to pick 
and and then when the twisted fate covered it it actually makes it really hard to play aurelia into nar counter matchup on top side if if you're facing it into a twisted fate and yes they do have olaf into udir but um seraphine isn't able to to cover Twisted Fate like so many other champions. So, and they were worried about not having AP too, right? Like yeah, there's, you... there's a lot of issues there because they had Seraphine as their only AP. So I think they're like, oh, well, we need AP Gragas then to get some more magic damage. But still, I, I just think there was a lot of problems with that draft. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think uh, looking back at EG though, uh, it's an interesting matchup because I don't feel like there's big skill discrepancies in a lot of the positions. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, some of the other times you're like, oh, well, Alfari is the best top in the league, hands down, going to be probably a constant advantage or, or something like that. Um, here, I don't feel that way. Uh, but I do think that the inconsistencies of EG as a whole is a big issue for them over a full five-game series. And I think a lot of people yeah. instinctively look at Jizuke, but I actually think Sven's been the biggest offender of just like question mark paying decision-making with his Mundo game, some of his invades, his Hecarim <laughs> game where he was fighting the Skarner on a Spire. Like, there's so many of those things where I'm like, in a series, like, if you do that, like, man, you're just, like, punting a game away. And I think that those kinds of concerns are the big thing that TSM has in their back pocket is I don't have those concerns really about any of their plays aside for maybe Hooney. You just reminded me also, because something, um, I forget what week it was, but, like, maybe a week ago or, or two weeks ago, I keep seeing this same play from EG where you can like see some of the internal communication on the map with, with the way that they're moving. And the team is is like all around Baron, except for Defly and bottom lane. And they're like forcing really hard. And then you see Defly like start to come up. It's like, oh, it's like, it's like, he's like, no guys, I'm not coming. And the rest of the team is like, we're going in. And he's like, oh shit. Well, okay, I guess I have. But you get, you have this like this tug of war at these rift tailed plays for so many, for several EG rift tailed plays. Um, it wasn't just one. Um, where and it, I, I really think that has to get ironed out as well. There are you're talking about inconsistencies and stuff. Um, and I think it's it's these multiple different things, right? Where, you know, okay, so you have the one game where it's like back-to-back -back tower diving Lucian, okay, what, you know, whatever. That, that thing happens. <laughs> you have one of this where it's like, oh, okay, we had really bad, you know, coordination on, on Rift Tailed. We, we weren't decided if we were going to have the whole team head up there or we we're going to keep split pushing, try and get, uh, you know, turret plates by hand or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, I, de I definitely think the, the coordination uh, as well in some of these moments is, is definitely key for them. Yeah, it's it's going to be a really exciting series. I, I feel like to to my mind, I'm giving TSM the edge because I just think that they they are a more consistent team. Um, but you know, would I would I be shocked if EG upset them? No, because I think that if EG actually plays their best games, they can beat anyone, right? And, and they actually stomped TSM in the in the last weekend of the split, right? Like they actually had a really strong game where Impact was popping off on the on the Aatrox and Jizuke was popping off on the Echo, and that game was really really dominant. But uh, because of a lot of the issues that you guys are mentioning, and especially because it's not just one thing, it feels really hard to eliminate all of that, right? If it's just one guy who's sometimes kind of like having these moments where it's like, ah, then you, you can maybe get away with it or you can maybe work on it and eliminate it. It feels really hard when it's a lot of different people, when it's, you know, Sven Scaren might have a game that's just going to cost you the game off these crazy invades or or maybe the team coordination is going to cost you a game off of like a silly Rift Herald or a Baron where it's split calls or Shizuke is going to have one. Like there, there are 
their highs are very, very high, but they have really never, for the entire time since they've been back in the league, been able to shake this this kind of stereotype about them where they are a little bit coin flippy, right? You just don't know what you're going to get from EG. They have some of the best, most exciting games of any team in the split, but then they can really turn in some stinkers, and I think that hurts you so much in a best of five. All right, let's move on to the other best of five. Then. Predictions? Oh, yeah. Let's TSM 3-1. You're always trying to dodge them. Get in there, Kobe. 3-1. TSM. 3-1? Okay. Yeah, I guess that's pretty boring. We're all going to say 3-1, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> I'm regretting my decision here. Let's Moving on. on. Moving on. Kobe had it right. <laughs> all righty. Uh, coming hot off the Elasta Cloud 9 for 100 Thieves. We haven't seen Dignitas in, um, it feels like, quite a while. Uh, anytime we have these these best of fives, you know, front loaded mm-hmm. with with uh, these teams, it does feel like you know, it's been a while since we've seen EG. Our, our EG, uh, you know, w- what's going to be new? What have they been working on? Same thing. I feel like for Dignitas, um, especially as as Dig have had so many games throughout Spring Split that were really down in the mud. You know, <laughs> is getting into some some weird objective trades later on into the game, or it's like a Nexus defense. Um, to your earlier point with the Aframu, uh, you know, bringing up the, the pulverized flash uh, play from him. And then they run it back and they're like, you know what? Boom, got another dub on the board. Count it for dig. Let's go. Um, this, I feel like this one is going to be exciting. Yeah, I think this will be a pretty back and forth series. Um, you know, just I can see how the matchups, I, I feel like I can see how they're going to go where it's like, okay, 100 Thieves bot lane is going to usually be winning in like CS and pressure and this kind of stuff, but Afro's going to make plays and he's going to kill them and like Dardock's going to do some whack stuff and Closer's going to maybe punish some of that, but then Dardock will make these bigger plays here and like, you know, I, I can see it really going back and forth. So I, I'm super excited about this one, but it's, it's hard to balance like that with the, how bad and sad I feel after watching the 100 Thieves series from this weekend. Uh, because I felt like they looked really, really just uncoordinated, and it was it was almost like a little painful to see some of those games. Yeah, yeah, it, it, which is like I don't know if I'm getting baited into thinking it, but I I was watching that and I was like, ooh, hundred thieves, you're not looking good. Is Dignitas favored here? And yeah, I don't know, that's, I, I was like, that that's kind of how I'm feeling, right? But I I don't know if I'm getting baited into it. Um, hundred thieves did two of them in the regular season. Both were with Demonte, though. Uh, you know. Is Demonte going to come in? That's another question. You know, I wouldn't have been surprised if if when they were down 2-0 uh, in their series against Cloud9, they subbed him in. But they didn't do it then. We don't know if they're going to do it coming into this next week or if they're just going to stick with Ryoma. You know, I don't think that Ryoma played bad. I, I really don't want people to just be pinning on him. And I did you know tweet about this because I just feel like I saw immediately so much like Ryoma Flame on, on social just for people being like, oh my God, this guy's so terrible. I thought he played fine. The, the problems are, are much larger than just Ryoma. Everyone was not playing very well. They were not playing very coordinated. And I feel like 100 Thieves has a complete lack of identity or urgency in the game. Where it feels like, from what they showed us, their game plan was basically sit around and hope you Scale. win 5v5. Right? That's a, that's about it. That's what you got, right? And it's like, yeah, you've got some, some good players. You got a great bot lane. You know, someday's a good team fighter. Uh, FBI is is maybe the best team fighting bot laner in the league. Like that is really good. But when you're playing against top level teams and you allow them to dictate the pace of the entire early game, it's really hard to find yourself in a winning position 
or even an even position uh, when you are, are ready to team fight, when you want to really go for it, right? And it doesn't feel like Closer's doing anything early. Ryoma's sure not doing anything early. You know, they are a very, very, very passive team. And that is concerning for them. So, you know, I, I have a, a lot of concerns about 100 Thieves, but Digitas is not this super clean, consistent team week in, week out either. You know, they they definitely, you know, turn in some some silly games. And even just thinking back to the first time they played, that was like the Rengar game uh, from, from Dardock that really did not work out at all. Like, they got super stomped by 100 Thieves. Uh, of course, 100 Thieves was kind of playing better at that time. And like I said, it was Demonte, so, so it is very different. Um, but... Dignitas, I think, have, have been improving over the split. It feels like these teams have kind of had a bit of an opposite trajectory. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm really kind of excited for it as, as a result to see, like, how close is this going to be? Dignitas is going to be hard to prep for. Uh, they've shown so many different styles. Dardock has shown a million different champions. And, you know, maybe they can get an edge in draft as a result. So I wanted to jump in on the on the hundred these uh, part because I was doing reviews specifically of game two. Um, and this is the game it, where they pick someday the Aatrox into Scion matchup on top side, which is super good uh, for Aatrox. And they have Azir and Jinx, really good scaling for your team fight, long range, high DPS um, for, for later in the game. They combine the Jinx with the Thresh. And what happens in the early game is that Closer's actually very active but you can see all of their focus for their pre-game plan for 100 thieves was to say okay go up to top side play around this atrox versus scion matchup and there are like three four there are four closer ganks up to the top side of the mat and this atrox has a has a 10 cs lead um by by like almost 15 minutes um and they do have a, have a bit of pressure and by the way this is without even getting the rift hail this is, okay, you got a 10 CS lead up there on your Aatrox, but not only did Blabber on the Olaf soak up a mid-wave and then bully down this dragon on a really quick dragon timing, uh, but then he also was able to get Rift Herald while Closer was going for another top gank. Uh, I, I, if you go back to this play, uh, Closer blast cones over and runs straight up for this top gank through a tri-brush, um, and they do burn Fudge's flash for the Scion, but it's just a Scion's flash. And Olaf here, Blabber, is just uh, down in the, the Rift Herald Cove, finishes up the Rift Herald, grabs this off top side. So there's not even that big chunk of gold that you get as a reward out of your top side play. If you're, if you're focusing on Aatrox and Tucson matchup, Aatrox can you know, sustain Leech off him no matter what. Uh, he, he will have control of this lane. And you're going up and ganking all of your ganks up there as well. Um, then, man, you really need to cash in with the Rift Herald. Because 10 CS, it's not going to cut it, okay? Uh, that's like that's not a that, and that is an early game plan, and that is that is a lot of early game action actually, where he he goes up there a bunch of times and they gank it a bunch, um, but the rewards are just not there. And then you're well, into this thing where you're like, okay, I guess we're now we got to rely on the Azir Jinx for later for these team fights. But Cloud Nine, they keep up on this dragon timer. Uh, Ola uh, Blabber is there on spawn basically, and it is one of the earliest souls. Um, you know, in uh, you know, in the LCS, they they have uh, you know, Infernal Soul coming online so quickly. There, I yeah, it was just like they did actually have a plan and they did do some early game stuff, but it did not, they did not get any rewards from it. I mean, yeah, part of it was like the the actual 
steps of that plan were not all great steps. Like the first dive on top was great, mm. uh, but then they repeat ganked it into a, a pushing wave after they blew their TP from their mid laner to get top. And then they're ganking top again with this fat wave. And it's like, well, the other mid laner has TP too, guys. Like, how'd you forget about that? And then closer dies. It's still a one for one. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you're, you're kind of neutralizing some of the advantages. And like you said, this whole time Olaf is soaking bot wave. Um, and then after that, I don't think they even turned another kill top unless I'm mistaken. Um, yeah, yeah they, so. he, they dived or they, they ganked again, but they would only get like flash out of fudge or like, you know, he drops a few CS. But fudge, honestly, to only be down 10 CS, uh, um, you know, for that period of the game, you know, he, he grabs his bramble vest early, hugs onto that, soaks <laughs> up the CS. He's, he's, he's doing, Zion. He's doing just fine up there. Um, he's literally the best champ if you're going to die under turret on wave, on the on level three wave. Because yeah. you just yeah. come back up and you just go wham, 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 <laughs> and you don't even fall behind. Like, yeah, the yeah. other guy's 300 gold richer, but you yourself are not actually behind the pace of the game uh, necessarily. And then the, when the other gank goes bad, it's like... I don't know. It was it was definitely like not a clean execution of a game plan, though they clearly had one. Um, and then their their team their team fights weren't great. Like there was the half hearted flank attempt by someday, like on the third dragon, which was when they got four for one or whatever that team fight was, or maybe it was three for two. I forget. Um, but it was like he hopped the wall, sent a chain at the scion, threw out his, his max range first Q, and then kind of just bailed and walked over an Ori ball. And it was like, is this really the team fight, you guys? Is this what you wanted to do? One other tiny, small little thing um, is that with the the Jinx Thresh bottom side lock-in, that is actually a pretty good and easy combo to to pull off if you get the hook um, or flay people onto traps. But it seemed like they hadn't practiced that too often or something because FBF kept throwing out these traps and rarely ever got them into a spot where it was, you know, is being pulled into the trap or flayed in or or off or something like that. Um, It... uh, that that was just one really small micro thing that I noticed. Um, uh, you know, as far as as far as the individual you know champion choices too that went into this, didn't seem like they had uh, a ton of coordination or, or practicing on that one either. Yeah, I mean, all this is to say as well that like you know to Zale's point, Ryoma got a ton of the flame uh, because a lot of people were like, well, you could have just kept Demonte in, and there was more of. It's somewhat of a question more of the management decision to put Ryoma in than actual criticism mm-hmm. at Ryoma, but that was the, the bulk of the conversation was centered around that. It felt like in the post-game thread that I saw, but with all the issues that we're highlighting, obviously it is a whole team issue that like is totally independent. Yeah, I think that's partially just, it's easier to latch on to when you're like, something needs to change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing that I think people kind of forget is that they had stopped playing their aggressive playstyle even with Demonte. It felt like they yeah. moved away from that, right? So this is clearly a team issue or a coaching issue or whatever. Um, you know, they only played three games total in the regular season with Demonte of TF plus Galio, like total. It was two TF games and one Galio game, right? That's it. So it's not as though that they were just like spamming out those games, you know, during the regular season. Uh, it did start getting banned some against them. But then it actually stopped getting banned against them, and they just continued to play tr- control mages with Demonte. So clearly, that's what they wanted to do. And then they stepped out Ryoma. They kept playing control mages. So clearly, that's what they wanted to do. Um, you know, for whatever reason, whether it stopped working in scrims or you know they just determined that they felt it wasn't a good way to play the game. That is more of what I I kind of have a uh, the problem with is is there like abandonment of that playstyle that felt like it was really good instead of further exploring it. Uh, but I'm I actually really excited for for this um, this match. I think I'm getting baited, but I'm predicting Dignitas. Um, it's it's 
a series where like, I don't feel super confident in this, but I think Dignitas can do it. I think that 100 Thieves has been on a downward spiral. I think they look really bad against Cloud9. They don't seem to have a clear game plan or an idea of how they want to play the game. And I do think Dignitas has that. Whether whether or not Dignitas is consistent enough and brings it to level performance at a, a high enough level to actually take down 100 Thieves in a best of five is another story, but I feel they can do it. I'm going to go 3-2 uh, Dig. Well- and, yeah, I, uh, I want to push a little bit on why you think Dig is going to do it because we talked the whole time about 100 Thieves <laughs> in this in this matchup. Um, haven't haven't touched. Uh, you know, I actually too think that Dig. I, I think that you know Fake Guns Lego are actually playing you know at, at a at a very high level. I think that this team has actually developed you know really really well. I think that you know Afro and Neo are playing at a similar level to what we're actually getting out of FBI and Huhi. The individual pieces on Dignitas are actually really good right now. And I feel that Dignitas is a more proactive team in the early game. They get a lot more action out of Afro uh, as well as Dardock. If Dardock is passive in the early game, that's where I more have problems with how Dignitas is playing because I do think that when when Dardock is inactive, the team can kind of fall back into into similar things that we're criticizing Hundred Thieves for, uh, where they do actually you know start to look pretty passive and, and don't have as clear of a game plan. Uh, but this team feels more flexible. This team feels like on on a roll by roll basis, they're actually matching up pretty well. Uh, as, as funny as that sounds to say, you know, in, in some of these cases because they're they're lesser known players. I think that the Dignitas players are actually playing really well. And the fact that they have, you know, an incredible amount of flexibility, uh, especially with Dardock, like they can play all these different picks. They team fight really, really well. Team fighting is is what it feels like Hundred Thieves wants to do. But Dignitas, I actually think their five v five is their biggest strength. I think that they coordinate really well in the five v fives. You know, even if they have errors and get put behind early, their five v fives are so good. And it doesn't feel like 100 Thieves is a team that is going to push you and run over you in the early game, at least not from what we saw against Cloud9. Of course, they're a different beast. But if they come into this series and play this kind of slow, um, you know, 5v5 style, I think Dignitas has the ability to to get stuff done early and potentially get big leads with Dardock and Afro. And I think even if they don't do that, I think they can 5v5 just as well or better. Here's what, something I was going to say for, uh, for Dignitas. I think they have actually been benefiting from having their internal structure be the two dedicated like leadership senior members basically of Dardock mm-hmm. and Aframu and then the very tenacious you know um kind of second seat for for the rest of the younger players or the rest of the unproven you know LCS players because you you hear them talking in in all of their interviews and you know you know, Neo um, and uh, and Fake God and all these guys are talking about how much Aframu and Dardock are doing for them in leadership and in teaching them and in coordinating how they want to play. And I feel like in-game, that really shows up in clear in-game leadership where you're mentioning, you know, Dardock being proactive and stuff. They have, from the very... Word go. They have been playing around Dardock like they had five person defense invades. Um, they have been very coordinated on on playing around jungle early and Aframu doing a lot of this shot calling for team fights and objectives and coordinating them for late game. It it's always one of the harder things to touch on, uh, you know, in game comms because we don't get to listen to you know to all these you know games that they play. But from the outside looking in and and the little bits of info we get from interviews and stuff like that, it does feel like that that has like focused this team, you know, as far as, as far as their win condition and, and where they want to go within the game. So I think um, that's, that's one of the big things that has led to some of Dignitas' success in spring 
is that kind of chain so, of chain of command I, I would say so you're predicting them to no, win uh, I am not I am <laughs> I am predicting uh, 100 thieves because um, I really think that a lot of this um, and we had a large block of like um, you know kind of kind of negative view of 100 thieves because of the fall off in the split and then also playing against cloud nine in the best of five uh, I honestly think that cloud nine is is the worst possible matchup for 100 Thieves. Um, and and I think that Closer, some of these like mistakes he's making in this series, like there, there were definitely, um, it, it feels like he's not as confident in his early game plan, not as confident in laying out what, what they want to do as jungle. Because like we're saying in game number two, this, this full top side focus with ignoring the Rift Herald and, and just spamming ganks is like, got a list in game. It was like, gank for Aatrox. Um, uh, and then question mark, question mark, question mark after that. Step one. Right? Yeah. Um, and then, but then what, do you remember which game it was, um, where he was, he was going for the invade on Gromp with, with bottom lane, uh, completely oh, pushed up horrible. And, and they just collapse on him for that one. I'm like, where, where's the communication at all? Where is, where is the coordination there? Like at least stop doing the Gromp and turn around and try and try and pinch pincer your opponent bottom lane and come up with with your bottom lane who's trailing you know maybe you can have a, a few seconds of a th of a 3v2 that way and or you can get out or something um but those types of things i feel like happen so frequently 400 thieves versus cloud nine um and i don't think i don't think they will uh versus digging Talks. i think 100 thieves will be much more confident and then have not have this like this mental block. That being said, I still think it's going to be close. And I think this is uh, is a banger, and I do have a lot of of faith in Dignitas to make this a five game series. Because, like we're saying for Spring Split, they had so many wins where you're like, they are not winning this game, and then they come back and they win that team fight or they steal that objective, um, and they do. So, I I, I think, think I am going to go hundred these, but I, I am only going to give you know, three two. Yeah, I think Dignitas is really tenacious. I think you, you said yeah. that uh, when you were talking before. Like, they're not, not a team that's ever really out of the game, even when kind of far behind or looks like a losing game state. Um, and I think that's really important in a five-game series to, to, if they're able to keep that mentality up. Whereas 100 Thieves, I don't know, they have a glass jaw? Are they, like, you know, slumping down and things start going wrong they don't feel as good? Because I, I, I definitely feel like when you watch their games and they fall out of it, it's kind of like this, like, waiting-to-die feeling a little bit, which, mm -hmm. which definitely is sad. Um, and there's so many like negative things to say about hundred thieves that it's almost like, why am I predicting them to win? But I still think that they have, um, some just substantial advantages, uh, that are going to be hard to overcome. I kind of talked about how, like, I think I assume FBI and, and who he will probably be winning the majority of their landing phases Afro and Neo, while they do convert a number of kills and they're, they're really good at their coordination. They usually are sitting further back in lane. They're usually not contesting uh, quite as hard unless it's a gank. And they do coordinate ganks well. But I think it'll put pressure on Dardoch to probably naturally be losing both side lanes. Um, I think Fake God's really good. And I don't mean like losing like, oh, he's getting solo killed and hard dumpstered. But like probably playing weak side. And uh, we talked about it on the countdown a little bit. But it's like, I don't know why someday spam picks Renekton. Uh, but they actually have the lowest jungle proximity around it. It's a really weird thing. Um, but they tend to do that, and it would even led to Fudge first picking Renekton in game one. And so, like, I think that, generally speaking, 100 Thieves should have the priority and the agency in the game to make these wins happen, um, and I think that they'll be able to, to do it. But 
I think it'll be a five-game series, and I think it'll really come down a lot of ways to their mentality. Like, they're probably going to drop some games here against Dig. They might have a, a big throw or two, um, and if they can bounce back, then I think they'll be okay, but they are looking shaky. All right, well, there's our playoff predictions. We got some anchor questions now from you guys. The first one here is going to come from Garrett Newman. Hey, guys, Jedi here. Big fan of the show. Um, so as Bjergsen has moved into a coaching role, what kind of success does he need as a coach to be considered a better coach than a player? Thanks. A lot. <laughs> This is a yeah. multiple MVP, you know, dominated the league for years and years and years and years. I feel like not only do they need to stack up titles, he would need international success, 100%. Yeah. Get uh, out of groups twice. A, th- a thousand percent. I think you need to do more than get out, get just get out of groups. I think you definitely need to win a best of five in uh, uh, at Worlds to be able to, to say that. Like, And honestly... He's not going to be able to do it in a year, even two years. You, you, one of the things about Bjergsen is he was consistently every freaking year top of the table mid laner and the reason for so many of these seasons why TSM was a contender. So, like, yeah, you're going to have to do a lot and you're going to have to do it consistently over over several years because uh, it's it's you know that's not something you can make up quickly. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, it's it's like you're stacking his whole career against or one win worlds split right now. I, I take it back. You could do it in one year. Win worlds. I give it to you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, it's possible if he has some insanely like TSM has some insane run this year. But otherwise, you're stacking up a career, a full career as a player against uh, uh, you know one split as a coach. And something that happens with a lot of like in traditional sports when pro players become coaches is like they actually have some tenure of success at some point in their careers often, uh, but it's sometimes not sustained the same way like a high level of play is easier to sustain for an individual player. Whereas a coach, you have to be measured on your team's success. And that's harder Mm -hmm. to do because you can be a great player surrounded by crappy teammates and you're still dropping 30 a game in basketball or something. Everyone acknowledges that's still a great player, but you're, you know, losing team. Whereas that doesn't exist for a coach. You can't drop 30 a game. And so it's a lot harder to have this kind of, run of success as a coach in a lot of ways um, because there's no individual component to it. Um, so it is really hard to have when you're one of the all time great players, it is really hard to have a better coaching career. If, if not outright impossible, I can't think of a player who was considered one of the greatest of all time, then becoming one of the greatest of all time coaches yeah. in traditional sports. I think, I think it's a really good point. It's also because of the way in which Bjergsen had success with TSM it wasn't just that he won titles. It was that, he is constantly looked at as the reason that they won. You know, yeah. like he's just the difference maker. Bjergsen's just going to take over the game and 1v9, and you're going to win because of this guy. And everyone kind of looked at it in so many cases as, yeah, that's just Bjergsen diff. And that is really, really hard to achieve as a coach. But uh, would be cool to see if he could do it. I wish him the best. Uh, one of the, the mainstays of the scene for so long. Definitely a legend. All right, next question comes here from Thomas Lukashow. With off-season roster moves, expectations for 100 Thieves were high, and as of right now, they're not living up to them. If this 100 Thieves roster can't, at a minimum, beat the 2020 Golden Guardians' fifth, sixth-place finish, what roster moves may or may not need to occur, or do you question if the coaching staff is the correct fit? Of course, teams around them have gotten better, but what do you guys think? Thanks, guys. What do you think about Jungle? Hmm. 
Right, everybody's going to immediately jump to mid lane um, because obviously they have two mid laners. <laughs> but yeah, if if they don't, like this is this is the doomsday scenario where they have this terrible, uh, you know, bomb out placing for for hundred thieves. Honestly, what about jungle? Like that's an that's an import slot for you, and uh, it is it is. Oh, not, I see what you're saying now. It has not been. Uh, you know, I feel like that's that's one of the roles where. Uh, I do feel like there are a lot of importable junglers that that you could go after right now with so many. Like as a jungler, I spend a lot of time on OPG.gg looking at uh, you know replays and stuff from you know like high LCK um, or just Korean solo queue uh, you know players. And there there is a there's a ton of of jungle talent that is importable. I thought you were gonna say. Um... Go go resident for NA uh, for for jungler and, and find an important mid. mid. Uh, yeah. Oh no, I was actually just straight up uh, changing change uh, imports. Yeah, I mean e either way to this conversation, you can see that there are different avenues to pursue. Uh, it does feel a little bit premature um, because we don't know, you know, what's going to happen in the rest of this this. Uh, of course, it run. is. That's the point of the question mark. It's that. Well, and it, it's saying if it, they bomb out. You're yeah. living in oh, that world, oh. Mark. They've bombed out. Um, they lost their series against Dignitas. What do you do? Oi. I mean, I don't know how... <laughs> You're trying to dodge the question, Mark. <laughs> no, I, 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 mis I misunderstood it first. I, I was thinking that this was like if they get 5th, 6th in summer because that's when they got 5th, 6th previously um, was that playoff run. So I thought he was referencing a, a similar run in playoffs in summer. What do you do in that offseason? Good stalling. Because Good stalling. This What's your answer? <laughs> I'm saying this offseason is really compressed. Like, I don't know what it's going to look like. Are there are how how possible are roster moves right now uh, with the changes? I, I don't yeah. know. Um, and I don't think that they have great choices behind them um, in their academy system, for example, to, to make obvious swaps. You probably start looking for trades like, bring back Hanser. I don't know. You know, like, <laughs> well, you have to start looking at some of those things. It, uh, and with the, the talk of uh, import slot earlier, uh, can, v, can v up and import mid was you know kind of what you were touching on there right but what the problem is what mid can you get in the middle of the split that you feel really good about um currently yeah, it's, it's it's tough halfway through the year for sure but i yeah. i i think they would definitely be exploring options and they would be considering uh everything you know from from staff changes to player changes 100 percent because uh they were expecting i think to to be challenging for a championship and it's not looking like it right now. And especially in your scenario where they lost the Dignitas, uh, they'll definitely have everything on the table, I think, as far as mixing things up. And I'm just going to say bottom lane, bottom lane is safe. They get a pass from me. Okay. If you're, you're making changes, probably around mid jungle. Who uh, he's out of support. He's going mid. Go Bring back down, the Aurelian soul. Since, but if you mess with that bottom again. lane, I'm going to have some words. Okay. <laughs> All right, next question here. This one comes from Twitter. Uh, it is from Andrew. All right, Andrew says, uh, excuse me, I just lost What that. are your favorite uh, little tricks in solo queue to get you advantages? Hmm. I, I, I actually, mean, there's... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, this is just the generic advice, you know, like the pick a role, main a couple, like a small champion pool, so you learn all those things. Um but if you're talking like little tricks, I mean, there's the dodge that all the pro players are talking no, about. Damn it, Mark. I don't <laughs> say that. You're contributing to my long-ass queue times here. Fully through champ select. Mark's dodging out one second, wasting my goddamn life. 
I got better I don't things like these to comps. do. I got better things to do than get Mark a slightly better chance in his freaking champ select. Uh, honestly, <laughs> if you're going to do a champ select change, here's a little trick that won't get everybody else mad for you dodging. Uh, I always offer to pick for anybody later in the draft, especially solo laners. As jungler, I honestly don't care. I can I can blind pick my jungler, no problem. And it goes a long way to make sure that you don't have a blind pick casted in on your on your team getting Kiana counterpicked or something like that. Let me tell you, because I had one yesterday and he went zero nine. <laughs> And everyone likes you now. Know, know how we were talking about everyone hates their jungler? If you give them the, the lower draft pick, the you know, yeah. later draft pick, then you get a little bit of they good like, They like up. you until the other jungler ganks them one time. Exactly. So you, get, you get, you get that, that early game, last. though. You get, a little, you get a little bit of time in there. Zale's like um, a quickie nose. He said, auto filled some jungle games already. <laughs> He's like, that goodwill. <laughs> it goes quick. You get them three kills early, they get ganked one time. Goddamn jungle difference. All right. Uh, a, a trick a trick for me, I actually think there's some level one invades that aren't used much that are so consistently good. Um, you know, pe people just like run straight through Pixel Brush by mid and and in a lot of their invades. And I actually feel like so if you're if you're playing red side, you go down past your blue buff and then you go right through the river into that into that brush, right? That's by bot lane. And you go from that brush down against like the the lower wall uh, over bar where they're, they're trying to try brushes. And you walk along that wall in. By the time they see you, it's like you're actually on top of their head. You have to walk through your your river brush and then down so that they don't have any, any kind of pre-warning. But that one, oh my God, I swear, you get so many kills just walking through that brush. Either people are lazy and are guarding it and you can wrap around on their red from below or someone is guarding it. And by the time they see you, you're literally in melee range. Like it's it's a really good invade. It's one that people never really prepare for in, in solo queue. So I would say just some of these level ones you can, you can find from pro and things and just spam assist ping for your team to go to these things. A lot of times people just follow you. And even if you don't get a kill, you know how far and a deep ward early game goes for your jungler? It's actually so insanely easy mm -hmm. to track enemy jungler for the early stages. And every time I don't spend like seven spam pings of the entire jungle path of the enemy jungler, you know how many times a full clear from, from bottom to top uh, at three Still and a half a minutes top. has resulted in a top laner death? There's nothing you can do about that. Can't avoid that. <laughs> every time. Every time. That's how many times. So just put a freaking ward in there. You know, do a red buff invade or something like that. Um, I think that's going to stop them. They know where they are. They just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you should right, have been that's... here, dum dum. You're pinging it. You're pinging him. Where's my counter? There's tank? a cannon minion. What do you want me to do? <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for the questions. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the dive. Thank you, Honda, for making this episode possible. And remember, you can check us out Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, especially the new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash LCS. Be sure to sub there. You can continue to send us your questions on Twitter, on Anchor with the voice messages as well. And keep leaving us the funny Apple reviews. We love to read them on air if we get a good one. The midseason showdown continues this weekend with Evil Geniuses versus TSM on Saturday, March 27th. And then Dignitas versus 100 Thieves on Sunday, the 28th. As always, we will see you again next Tuesday, bright and early for all you West Coasters and 8 a.m. for all the East Coasters. <laughs>